healing is possible. We share stories of people everywhere who have healed from their diagnoses. Powered by HealthRevolution.org I'm your host, Dr. Anup Kumar. Welcome to the Healing is Possible podcast. My guest today is Fred Everard. Fred is a professional martial arts instructor and international consultant in self-defense and counterterrorism. He started training in martial arts, judo, at the age of six. And in 1998, he founded his own style of martial arts. In September 2020, he was diagnosed with genetic colon cancer and took a leap of faith and developed his own protocol for treatment. And he wrote a book about it and is here to share with us his story. Fred, please share with us your story of healing. Hi. Yeah, well, thanks for having me first. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, well, the story is, uh, I guess it's the same story as many cancer patients. You know, you, you, never think, you never think it's going to happen to you. And suddenly, boom, here it is. Uh, on my side, I knew cancer was running in my family as both my father and my grandfather died of colon cancer. Um, but I always had a very different lifestyle than my, my parents and uh, especially my dad. So I always thought, you know, my healthy lifestyle was going to protect me against my, my genetic. And uh, well, it happened and no. But uh, how can I put that? Yeah, I, my entire life, I've been aware of health and food, even when I was, even when I was a kid. Um, and in my house, the food was pretty healthy. Everything, everything was home cooked. Uh, there was no frozen food, no, no processed food. Uh, milk was not allowed in my house. Uh, uh, canned food were not allowed in my house. Frozen food was not allowed in my house. So my, my mom and dad were, were foodies and uh, French foodies, of course. So the extreme of the extreme. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we always had pretty healthy uh, food at home and, and, and lunch and dinner and stuff like that. Um, I was a vegetarian for many years, uh, realized later that I might have eaten a little bit more, uh, too much grains and, and cereals, uh, which were uh, quite inflammatory in my case, but uh, never smoked a day in my life, never drink alcohol, not even once in my entire life, never had soda, uh, not a fast, fast food eater. I mean, on paper, I was the guy who will never have cancer. Uh, Stress in my life was okay. Uh, I'm not saying there is no stress because nobody, I think nobody can say that nowadays, but uh, you know, my relationship with my wife was great, with my parents was great. We don't have kids. Uh, uh, so maybe a little less stress than many people. We didn't have any financial problem, nothing. Everything was all right. But uh, nevertheless, a few things happened and I've realized that a little bit later. First, I travel a lot for my work. And I mean, I was away from my house six months out of the year. And we traveled together with my wife. We worked together. So it was not, it was not a big problem for us to be on the roads and, and in airplanes several months out of the year to go train our teams around the world and, and to go check our martial arts schools around the world. So I've realized a little bit too late, but I realized that my, uh, my body was quite exhausted from all the travel and uh, the, the jet lags and stuff like that. That's stress number one, stressor number one. Uh, stressor number two, uh, when COVID hit, uh, we closed all our schools around the world. Some of them not for long, some of them for longer, but it had a big impact, of course, on our uh, uh, psyche and on our financial life. So it was a big, uh, a big stressor, definitely. And probably the, the most important stressor we had, uh, my wife and I, for the past few years, was our immigration to the US. So we're both French, she's from Tahiti, I'm from Paris, but uh, we used to travel the world for many, many years. We lived in Singapore for 10 years, travel all around Asia, Europe, US. And one day we were traveling in South Carolina, uh, doing a road trip in the Blue Ridge Mountain, fall in love with the place and never left. The problem was immigration and I wanted to do it by the book. So we started hiring a lawyer, and go through all the, the, the regular process. And it took forever. It took all our money, everything we put on the side for the past 20 years, everything was gone. Uh, and it took three years before we got a positive answer. 
it was very stressful. We had to go to the French embassy. We had to go back to the U.S. We had to leave the U.S. Uh, it was it was a nightmare, uh, a lot of stress, really. And I didn't realize that this could be a huge stressor for cancer, especially for someone like me who had a, a genetic predisposition. So unfortunately, genetic was probably the the the, the terrain of the cancer, but the the trigger was definitely stress and, and emotional stress. So in September 2020, I was diagnosed. Uh, I realized that uh, an old uh, skin disease that I had when I was a kid, psoriasis, was back uh, a few months before my diagnosis. So my, my elbows and my knees were completely red. So I knew there was some kind of inflammation. I knew enough about my body and, and, and I was trained in Chinese medicine. So I knew enough that when a skin problem happens, it's usually linked to the big intestine, to, to the large intestine. So I'm starting to get a little worried, but uh, not enough to go do some tests. I was a little cocky. I was, too, I was too certain of my lifestyle and I didn't do the test that I should have done, which would have saved me a lot of pain and a lot of time. Uh, after that, I started to have blood in my stool. And again, I thought, yeah, it's just an hemorrhoid or something like that. I'm going to take care of it with nutrition or fasting. And uh, it didn't work. Kept bleeding. And finally, I go back to France to do some tests. And they tell me, well, it's a, it's a colon cancer and it's already stage three, limit stage four. Uh, you have to start chemotherapy immediately. And the protocol was uh, one to two rounds of uh, chemotherapy, meaning between 12 and 24 sessions. Uh, after that, about six months of radiation. And after that, uh, uh, a surgery that would probably leave me uh, quite handicapped because the surgery was very, very difficult and complicated. So the diagnosis was there. There was no question about it. But the pronostic, I didn't accept. I said, no, that's, that's not possible. I was completely down for three days after the diagnosis and uh, thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to die. But uh, after three days, I slapped myself in the, in the face, kicked myself in the butt and, and told myself, you know what? You've been training martial arts for almost 50 years. What are you doing? You know, self-pity is not the way. So let's, let's do something. And I've been doing and, and, and learning about fasting, intermittent fasting, uh, ketogenic diet, vegetarian diet, uh, breathing, posture, all those things for many years, but I never compounded them. And I think that's the key between what I did after the cancer and what I did before. Because many people are asking me, but what's the difference? You were fasting before. You were on a ketogenic diet before. You were doing martial arts and meditation and breathing before. Why did you get a cancer with that? And how come you cured cancer with that? If you're inspired by this video and want to take your health or the health and healing of a loved one to the next level, visit healthrevolution.org slash jumpstart. Sign up, learn to activate the most powerful engines of health and healing. Healthrevolution.org slash jumpstart. Feel your power. And I mean, I'm no doctor or biologist, so I'm not sure. But what I think is, it's because I compounded everything. So before, yeah. I was doing Tai Chi, but it's not my main martial art. So I was doing Tai Chi once, once a week, once in a while. Uh, meditation, I used to do it every day when I was preparing a trip, a meditation trip to India. But after that, it became once a week or twice a week and then once a month. And same thing for everything, you know, fasting, intermittent fasting, I was doing all the time. I've been doing intermittent fasting for 20 years. But uh, long fast, I haven't done it a long time or I was doing it maybe once or twice a year. And stuff like that, you know, ketogenic diet, yes, but during the week and on weekends, I was going crazy with pasta and pizza and rice. So at the end of the day, I realized, okay, you need to do something because the protocol that the oncologist and modern medicine has to offer me, I'm not okay with that. And uh, even though I did use some of it, and I will tell you why and how a little bit later, but originally, Three days after, after I was diagnosed, I told to myself, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going down that way. I know, I don't want to sound like I have a problem with Western medicine because in some case it, it's very useful, 
And I'm completely not against treating the symptom because symptoms can be very painful, but Western medicine only treats the symptom and not the cause. And I wanted to treat the cause. I didn't want this cancer to come back if I could cure it. And uh, I didn't want to have side effects. I, I want to be, you know, I want to be healthy. I just want to cure cancer. Yes, but not only. I also wanted to be healthy 100% back to who I was and where I was as far as health. So I started with a 21-day, after many, many, many research, hours and hours of reading all the scientific literature uh, on PubMed and, and all the, the official uh, scientific literature magazines and, 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 and portals. And I realized that the, the number 21 was a key factor in many, many miracle healing. So I did a 21-day fast, nothing but water for 21 days, no food. Once in a while, a little shot of wheat grass, but mostly water. And uh, after 21 days, the tumor was 50% smaller. It went from 10 centimeters to 5.5 centimeters. So I knew then that I was on the right track. And after that long fast, I went back to intermittent fasting. So fasting every day until 1 or 2 p.m., no breakfast, basically. And, uh, and a strict ketogenic diet, all organic. Uh, if, I, if I was eating meat, one organic, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range animals. I mean, the best quality meat I could eat and tons, tons of vegetable juices and good fats, coconut, avocado, olive oil, uh, ghee, stuff like that. So that was, my, that was my regimen. As I was continuing my research, I've discovered that first, I couldn't take fibers. My colon was so inflamed that any veggies, raw or cooked, was just killing me. The pain was absolutely extraordinary in a bad way. So I've stopped eating vegetables and I used a, a juicer, a cold pressed juicer, and I made my own vegetable juices every day. And that made a lot of difference. I could have all the benefits all the phytonutrition, all the micronutrition of the, of the vegetables and all the cancer-fighting properties of some vegetables like broccoli and stuff like that without the, the inflammation that the fibers were, were giving me. I stopped all, all sugar. So except the very, very little carbohydrates that you find in vegetables, but no grains, no carbs, not even fruits. Today, I'm not sure that fruits, organic, seasonal, fresh fruits are bad for you when you have cancer? I still don't have the answer. Uh, is it the exception to no sugar or isn't it? I, I want to believe it is, but I didn't want to take any risks. So I went no sugar at all, including fruits. And, uh, and I, was, I was getting better and better, but the pain was, you have no idea. I, I was in such a pain. So on a scale of one to 10, if at 10, you can't take it anymore and you have to kill yourself, and one is a simple headache, I was at 9.9 .9 every day, 24-7. And it was, it was just impossible to live with. So at some point, I went to see my oncologist because even I was doing a natural healing process, a protocol, I was still followed by an oncologist and I was going to the hospital every two weeks for blood tests. I was doing MRI every three weeks, I did uh, uh, one colonoscopy, several PET scans. So I, I was following, I was being followed scientifically, even though I was doing the opposite of what my doctors were telling me. But because of the pain, I went back to see my oncologist and told him, look, do you have some kind of pills? Do you have something for me? And nothing worked. They give me painkillers, they give me uh, really strong stuff and nothing worked. So at some point he told me, look, I know you don't want to do any intrusive protocols. I, I know you don't want to do chemo, but uh, if I were you, I would do a very small amount of chemotherapy session, maybe six, just for the pain. It's going to shrink the tumor much faster than the, than the natural way. Uh, and with your lifestyle, you can cleanse from the toxins of chemotherapy after that. And I said, yes, okay, let's do it. Uh, of course, at, at that time, I was following all the scientific literature, as I told you before, and I came across uh, <clears throat> Dr. Walter Longo's uh, studies and research on fasting and chemotherapy. And his idea 
was that, or his research actually showed him that when you fast during chemotherapy, you have no side effects. So I thought to myself, <coughs> excuse me, I thought to myself, that's interesting. So I went to my first chemotherapy, fast during and fast the day after. First session, no side effects. All right, I was quite happy. Second session, a few weeks later, I thought to myself, is it the fasting or is it the um, keto diet or is it because I have a healthy lifestyle before? Let's put it to the test. Very light ketogenic dinner the night before. Went to chemo. I was sick like a dog. You have no idea. I was vomiting. I had terrible headache. I couldn't move. I was trembling. Uh, I was sick. I was really sick from the chemo. Third session, I thought to myself, okay, let's continue the experiment. Maybe the first time was just because it was the first time. Maybe it was not the fast. Maybe the second time is what I'm supposed to experience during chemo. Let's do a fast for the third session. I did a fast the day before, the day during, and the day after. No side effect, nothing. Not a headache, not, no vomiting. I didn't lose a single hair, nothing. So I thought, all right, it is the fasting. It's really, really protecting my body against chemo. And after the third session, I was pain-free. So I told my doctor, okay, I'm stopping. And the guy looked at me like I was crazy. He said, Mr. Everard, chemo doesn't work all the time. I'm not supposed to tell you that, but it is the truth. It's working on you. Why the hell would you stop? And I said, because it's not my goal. My goal is not to heal through chemotherapy. My goal was to take care of the symptoms, which were unbearable. And it did. And I thank you very much for it. But I stopped. Three is enough. I, I stopped to feel the poison in my blood. I, I'm in tune with my body enough to know that this is not what my body wants. Let me continue to do it my way. If it doesn't work and I'm still alive, I'll come back to you. And he said, okay. So I stopped after three sessions of chemo, cleansed with another uh, two or three day fast and went back to my regiment with intermittent fasting, ketogenic diet, tons of vegetable juice. Of course, everything in my diet was fresh, local, seasonal, organic, and for the meat, 100% grass-fed. And uh, that went on until December, until Christmas. <clears throat> and I was feeling better and better, uh, starting to gain a little weight back. And for Christmas, my mom visited from France. She went to see us uh, in the US. And you have to know that my mom is a Michelin star pastry chef. Mm -hmm. So she came for a week between Christmas and New Year. And talking about falling off the wagon, I, I jumped out of the wagon. <laughs> I had pies and pasta and pizza and rice and, and fruits and everything I was not supposed to have for a week. I went completely nuts. All the frustration, all, all the, the thing that I missed, I had it all. After Christmas, after New Year, I stopped and went back to my regimen, but I was feeling okay. I didn't feel worse or anything, but I was worried. Honestly, I was worried because my next MRI was coming up pretty soon, and I was afraid that I had reversed my good progress. So I went for another 21, uh, yeah, almost 21-day fast, except that... I was fasting during the week and I was eating during the weekend. So it's not a true 21-day fast, but on a period of 21 days, I was fasting during, during the week. And after that came my MRI and blood test. So I'm going, I go to the hospital, they do all the tests and they tell me, the doctor cannot see you before three days. We will, he will let you know. So I'm here waiting. And uh, one of my friends, who's a, who's a nurse at that hospital, took a look, you know, sneak peek at my, at my file and told me, look, Fred, I don't want you to, to have your hopes too high. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what that means. But what I can tell you is they don't mention the tumor on your MRI, which is very unusual. So or they forgot, which would be a terrible professional mistake, or it's not here anymore. But please don't get your hopes too high and wait to see the doctor. And I'm in my, in my living room dancing and jumping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't get your hopes too high. Yeah. 
Uh, and three days later, I go see the oncologist and he looks at me with a big smile and he said, Mr. Abroad, I don't say things like that very often in my line of work, but you are disease free. There is no trace of tumor, no metastasis, nothing. Your blood work is perfect. The MRI shows nothing. You're, you're cured. And that's basically the story. Well, thank you for sharing the story. I, I was taking notes as you were speaking, and I'd like to uh, learn more about a couple of things. First of all, just overall, the what strikes me is one, uh, the collaboration you really had with your oncologist, that you were taking an unconventional route, but your oncologist respected that and said, okay, I understand. And, and when you went back, they didn't say, no, find another oncologist or, you know, do something else. They're like, no, I understand who you are. And you took that responsibility and your oncologist took that responsibility and you were able to kind of chart a new treatment path. That's pretty, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And I was lucky because uh, after I was cured, I, I had the opportunity to talk with many patients and many of them who wanted to do as I did or something similar, they were literally kicked off kicked out of the office of the oncologist and they told they told them i can't i can follow you if you don't follow my orders so i was very lucky uh this this gentleman this oncologist that was following me he's a he's of chinese descendants and his father was an acupuncturist so i think his background as a kid mm. seeing his father using chinese medicine and, and acupuncture to treat people helped him accept my decision knowing that i had uh I can't say a background in Chinese medicine because I was never a doctor, but I, I've studied with uh, doctors, friends of mine, and I have mentors in Chinese medicine. So I knew enough so I could take the, responsab the responsibility for my, own, for my own body and my own you know, survival. And I think that's such a hard thing in healthcare. You know, there's this idea, even myself in emergency medicine, that there is this, this prescribed treatment path um, but if a person has enough agency and if they decide something else and they take the responsibility, because obviously you didn't know what the outcome could be. You could have done worse. You could have done better. You didn't know, but you, you made an educated choice and we're working with your doctor. That's, that's just uh, something I think that we're not as comfortable with, but perhaps we have to get more comfortable with knowing how to support our patients in their choices, giving them the information we have, of course, saying, Hey, here's what we know can make a choice and we're going to support you in whichever way we can with the knowledge we have. That's such a critical aspect. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, what, one, one thing that I forgot to mention is I was diagnosed both in France and in the US. And in France, uh, I was at Pompidou Hospital, which is the cream of the cream as far as cancer hospitals in Paris. And uh, back here in South Carolina, the diagnosis was confirmed by the uh, Cancer Institute here of South Carolina. So I had two serious diagnoses. And, and some people, you know, once you heal from cancer in an unconventional way, they tell you, oh, they made a mistake when they diagnosed you. You never had cancer. Yeah. But uh, I right. did. Because right. I, I, I gave you the, the, the short version. But at my worst, which was November, uh, I couldn't walk. I couldn't move. I, couldn't, I could barely talk. I went from 70 kilos to 49 kilos. Uh, I had cancer. Yeah. And you know, something I have to look at the literature about fasting. I'm not familiar with the literature, but it's, it's fascinating to think that um, a person who is losing mass, losing muscle mass, losing weight would go on a fast. It's very counterintuitive, right? Because the idea is we need to build up the strength. So in, in that condition, you went on a 21-day fast. So can you talk about your energy levels? Like It sounds like you had low energy to begin with at that point, but yeah. then you started a 21-day fast. What happened with your energy during that time? The first one, it was between October and November. Uh, I was really, really weak, but I was weak before. And the weird thing is, you probably know, the, the psychological impact of, of having a cancer and being diagnosed with a cancer. I was 200% worse from the moment I was diagnosed, even though I had the same cancer the day before. Mm. But the moment I knew, I went down dramatically and very fast, very, very fast. Um, 
so I was already weak and I have already lost a lot of a lot of weight. When I went for the fast, I was basically lying down most of the time, but it was from the pain. The pain never got away until I, I did some chemo. And I had to be very transparent with that and, and very thankful to Western medicine uh, because of that. It took the, the, the worst of the symptoms away from me, which was the pain. And uh, I couldn't sit. I mean, sitting was un impossible. So I was lying down all day doing nothing. But um, on my second 21-day fast, and I've done other fasts, long fasts before and after, and I can tell you, you don't lose a lot of weight. You lose weight during the first three days. And after that, the body goes into protein protection mode and you eat the fat that you have. And when you stop, when the body doesn't have fat to eat anymore, it starts eating the cells that are useless, including cancer cells. That's called autophagy. And that's the goal of fasting. We don't fast for fun. We don't fast. Technically, it's not really even to to, to, to starve the cancer because you're going to starve before the cancer if you never eat. You have, to, you have to do a controlled fast. But fasting definitely puts you in a deep state of autophagy, which is when the healthy cells, which have nothing to eat and need food, are going to start eating the non-healthy cells, including the cancer cells. So basically, the body feeds on its own cancer. That's what autophagy is. And that's where I was. So I didn't lose a lot more weight during the fast that I was already losing from the cancer. So that's what I was and gonna I ask. Is you were, you're already a, um, a martial artist. You, know, you must have already been very fit. So you were lean to begin with even before the 21 day fast, right? Yeah, and that was almost my problem. I was 9% body fat when I started this, this yeah. whole thing. Yeah. So there was not much fat to eat and I lost a lot of weight, but I continue to lose weight even after I start re-eating. So after the fast, I went on a ketogenic diet and ketogenic diet is high fat, moderate protein and low carb. So it's very easy to go high in calories. Um, but I was still losing, losing weight and losing weight and losing weight until there was nothing left but bones. 49 kilos for someone who's between 70 and 80, depending on his, 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 uh, his shape and, and, and training. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot of weight that I lost. And yeah. uh, I only start getting weight back around December. And that's where I knew. And the doctor was all excited. Ah, oh, five more kilos. Yeah, we're winning. And, and for, for them, before I had the, uh, all the MRIs and blood test results, just taking my, my, my weight, checking my weight was a very, very important sign, especially the nurse. They told me, you, you know, you're losing weight. You have cancer. You're gaining weight. Huh, you, you might be in remission. It, there's a, it's not a, 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 a prove, definite prove, but it, there's a big correlation between getting the, the weight and the muscle mass back mm -hmm. and the cancer getting weaker and weaker. And in these 21 days, it was just water and you said occasional wheatgrass juice, but nothing else. Yeah. 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 So water for sure every day. And um, I don't know, maybe once every two or three days, I had the wheatgrass juice when I was really feeling really weak. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, I hate the taste of fresh with breast juice. So if I didn't really need it, if I didn't feel like, wow, I have even less energy than every day, then I, I had some to have a little bit of, of micronutrition and a little bit of, of phycochemicals in my body. But uh, I was really convinced that autophagy was the key. And the more stress, good stress, controlled stress on the body, the deeper the autophagy, which means a lot of people ask me, can, you, can I take supplements when I fast? Can I take a little bit of this? Can I take a little bit of that? The answer is yes, you decide. But the more the body has to fight to find food, the more it's going to eat the cancer cells. So I wanted my body to be in high stress, high stress mode. And that was on purpose. And what's your thinking about... Um, uh... I guess that's the first thing you did was start the 21 day fast. That's how you started your protocol, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then that's when you found that the tumor went from 10 centimeters to five and a half centimeters. I, I guess you had another MRI at that point. Exactly. I had an MRI about three weeks before the fast. Yeah. So that was my, uh, when I came back to the US, from France to the US, and they did an MRI here too, to confirm the diagnosis. And uh, then I did my, I waited a week, not knowing what I was gonna do. And that's another thing, you know, the state of mind 
it's easy when I tell my story, but at the time, making the decision, chemo, not chemo, radiation, not radiation, fasting, not yeah. fasting. Yeah. Uh, every day I changed my mind for a week. Every day yeah. I didn't know what to do. I was completely frozen. Yeah. And, and that's a big piece of the psychology, psychological fight that people yeah. have to know and most people yeah. go through. But after about a week, I said, okay, I made up my mind. I talked to a few doctors, friends of mine who are doctors in Chinese medicine and, and natural healing and naturopath. And I, I said, okay, I'm going for it. Nothing is going to get, I'm not going to die. I'm only stage three, not four. So yeah. I'm not going to die in three weeks. Let's try. Yeah. And after the fast, when the fast was finished, after 21 days exactly, I waited about a week and I had my next MRI. And that's where they told me it's 50% smaller. What did your oncologist say at that point? At that point, you had no um, chemotherapy. You weren't even doing anything that sounds too, you know, too much like what people would call alternative medicine. I mean, you just went on a fast and you just didn't yeah, eat. Nothing else. Because the, yeah, the concept eat, there no supplements. is so different, right? I mean, the, the approach to treatment, the framework of what's happening and what to do is so different from the conventional thinking. So what did your doctor, your oncologist say when it was just fasting and your tumor went down by 50% essentially? Strangely enough, they didn't say much. The doctor looked at my file and said, yeah, uh, a little bit better, but we, you still need to do the 24 sessions of chemo, the six months of radiation and the surgery. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's, it's, most people will think that fasting to cure cancer or fasting to, to, to help with any disease um, is, is, is weird and, and, and new, but it's been going on for, for thousands and thousands of years. I mean, in Hindu and Buddhist country, fasting is just part of healing. Uh, uh, but even in the Middle East, in the, in, the, in the Quran, it is said that the stomach is the, is the seat of all disease and fasting is the cure. Hmm. Everyone talks about it. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the, in, in the desert. The Buddha fasted, Krishna fasted. I mean, all those guys, when you look at religions and spirituality, yeah. and, and, and I'm not saying there's a link, but I'm saying that in our, in our history as humans, yeah. fasting to cure disease has always been here. Yeah. And it's, it's, an, it's a, what's the word? It's a theory or a, a concept that's worth looking into. I'm sure just from reading your background and the name of your school and how you've studied so many traditions, I, I'm sure you're aware of the concept of, of prana in, in the Indian traditions or chi, obviously in the Chinese tradition. And there's an idea that the, the human system, obviously, even from a, an allopathic perspective requires energy to function. And in terms of the yeah. Western perspective, we think about ATP, we think about mitochondria producing our energy. Um, well, that, that same energy is not a physical energy in, for example, the Indian tradition where we talk about prana. And, and what we call ATP is a kind of prana in that, yeah, in that tradition. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a, in some sense, it's a simple concept which says that if you have enough to live and enough energy to live, then you don't need to add more to just the living function, which is what digestion is, right? It takes that energy from the food and it gives it to your brain and your heart and your, so you can live essentially, number one. But what this is saying is give the minimum amount to just live and redistribute that energy that would have been used for digestion into other systems in the body. For example, the immune Absolutely. system. So that's the, yeah. that's the theory behind it. Absolutely. It's exactly the, the, the bottom line of my research and the reason why I did this. So there was two concepts. The first one I already talked about is autophagy. And the second one is homeostasis. And homeostasis basically said that any living system left alone in its natural environment will automatically go back to the state of balance. So the body uses the energy of digestion for healing and to boost the immune system and the lymphatic system. People don't talk enough about the lymphatic system, but it's, it's critical because the, the immune system, basically it's, the immune system is the, the, the soldier. The soldiers who are sent to kill, destroy, eliminate any things that is not natural and not supposed to be inside the body. But once those particles, destroyed particles have been hit by the immune system, they're floating in your blood and you need to eliminate them, to evacuate them. It's not enough 
to have a big toxin, destroy it into 10,000 mini toxins and leave it inside the body. And it's the role of the lymphatic system to take that stuff and bring it outside. So you have to boost both the immune system and fasting is one of the keys. Nutrition, proper nutrition is another one. Uh, physical activity, breathing, all those things are important to boost your immune system. Vitamin, minerals, but you also need to boost your lymphatic system. And there's only one thing for that. There's dozens of things you can do for immune system. But for the lymphatic system, there's only one thing you need to move. The lymphatic system is only activated by movement. It's not a pump. There's no muscle like the, 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 the heart. There's nothing else than movement to, to put it into action. So when you're so weak as I was that you can barely walk, you still have to do something. And for me, the key was mini trampoline. And I did a little bit of rebounding every day, two, three minutes, just to boost my lymphatic system and went back to bed. At least the first few months. What is as that exactly? As soon as I could move. You had a trampoline or? I, yeah, I had a mini trampoline at home. You know, it cost 50 bucks on Amazon. Okay. And, uh, and I was just rebounding on it. Okay. That's it. That was my first physical activity when I was very weak. Okay. After that, I went back to Tai Chi and, and, and high intensity training and lifting weights and stuff like that. But yeah. at the beginning, it was just rebounding. That was the only thing I could do. Okay. I want to talk about what you said about how it's easy to talk about it, but when you're in the throes of it, you're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wild decision. It's a very difficult decision. Do I do the chemotherapy now? Do I not do it? How much do I do it? Is it just alternative? And I want to say that for the audience and for the people who are out there, including physicians who, who may say, oh, this is just some alternative kind of thing. And, and this isn't representative of everybody. And, and maybe it's, you know, all of these kinds of things that this isn't a decision made lightly, right? This isn't saying like, I don't hear you saying, oh, I don't believe in medicine or, but in fact, you said you were very thankful for what chemotherapy did. And yeah. Uh, I think that's such an important part of it that people really struggle with this. They struggle with their, their own, what their values are, what they believe with what medicine is saying. And I really commend you for talking about that process and finding a way to work with the system. We need more of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I know I was in the perfect condition and perfect environment to do what I did. And I will never say, I will never tell anyone, hey, do, do like I did or, or don't, don't go see your oncologist or, yeah. or don't use allopathic medicine. No, because it's a personal choice and uh, the struggle is real. Yeah. Like, like you just mentioned, I, I didn't know what to do. I froze completely for, for weeks. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a hard decision. And I'm very thankful also to my naturopath friends in France because I was on the phone with them every day. Hey, do you think I should do chemo? So mm. for an hour, hang up. The next day, call the same guy. Hey, do you think I should do chemo? Mm. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they keep telling me the same thing. There's nothing I can, I can do to help you, Fred. You have to, take your, you, you have to make up your mind. And uh, yeah. here, here are the benefits. Here are the inconveniences. Yeah. And at the end of the day, chemo is extremely toxic. It's, uh, it's cytotoxic, meaning it's toxic for all cells in the body. And you have to... You have to, 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 to find the balance between the pros and the cons, and it's a personal choice. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is the, you said that once you got the diagnosis, you were three times as bad in the next couple of days or in the next couple of weeks. And yeah. that's such, that's one thing that I come across, Fred, in doing this podcast so many, right? We talk about people healing from cancer and multiple sclerosis and heart disease and stuff you're not supposed to heal from. And when I talk to them, actually, I'd be interested to ask you this question too. When they go back and talk to their doctor, almost none of their doctors have written up that case in a medical journal and have, has that come up in the medical textbook. So what happens is I'm starting to get to this destabilizing thought for myself as a physician. And the thought is that we don't really know what the prognosis is for so many of these diseases because we don't write up the cases like yours. Like your case should be, has to be in a medical journal and they should write about you at three years, at five years, at 10 years, right? I mean, if, if you were okay with that and your doctor was interested, that is such a critical knowledge uh, that needs to be part of medicine because if it's not, imagine if that had happened for the last 10 to 20 years, 
then maybe your response when you heard that diagnosis will be different. And you would not have gotten three times worse, maybe one times worse, or maybe not even because you know that the prognosis may not be what we're seeing. It's such a tremendous point. And it, it just, every time I hear it, it shakes me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But the, 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 the symptoms of diagnosis, as I call them, are, are real. And uh, I've, I've looked it up, I tried to research it, but I haven't, I haven't found much literature on it, except yeah. for HIV. Hmm. There, 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 are some, there are some literature saying that people who, have HIV, who are HIV positive, they don't develop AIDS until the day they know. And the day they know, the next day they have AIDS. So the psychology, and it, it's, a, it's a thin line to decide, hey, would it be worth it not to know and never be sick? Yeah. Or on the contrary, would that kill people because they don't take care of the disease soon yeah. enough and then it's too late yeah. and uh, i don't have a clear answer yeah. the obvious intellectual answer is of course you need to know and you need to do something and i agree right. but taking the, the the psychological aspect into consideration is there a way for the doctors to work around it without telling the patient really exactly what's going on i'm not sure and i'm not saying it's the answer yeah. but it's worth it's worth asking the question because yeah. Many people develop a disease or get worse the moment they know they have it. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big ethical question. And, and obviously, the, the data that we would see would be of people who did not do something and who did not know anything and later got the diagnosis and we could say it was much worse than it would have been. But at the same time, you'll never know who, never people know. who didn't see it because they would never be picked up if they had gotten better, in fact. Um, and in fact, there's a term for this, this, the placebo and the nocebo effect. Everybody knows about the placebo effect, where I think I'm going to get better, or I have, I have trust or faith in this person, and I tend to get better. But few people know about the nocebo effect, which is that if we have a negative association with something, then it is more likely to be a negative experience. And, yeah. and that's, I'm beginning to wonder whether diagnosis itself you know, it has a potential to be a placebo or a nocebo. If I get a diagnosis, I might say, oh, okay, I know what to do. Providing that it has a story that is associated with healing. But when the story is a negative story, then what effect that does that have? It's, it's an important question. It's an important yeah, question. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that, that helps me to rebound on one of the things I, I, I forgot to mention is the power of the mind. The moment I have decided I was going to heal, there was no more fear. I was 200%. And I don't know, maybe it's because of my martial art background and, and the mental work that we do or, or the focus, or maybe it's accessible to anyone. I don't know. But at some point, and I think it was about at the end of the fast, uh, a little bit before maybe, I had this moment where I just knew I was not going to die and there was no other option. Yeah. And uh, of course, there's always ups and downs. There are better days and worse days. Okay, It's not all going up like this. Yeah. But I, I, I just knew I was not going to die. I refused to die. And I refused to live a handicapped life or a semi-life because of the consequence of, of, the, of, the, of the treatment. Yeah. So that's, where, that's, that's how I position myself. And, and the mental strength is, is key. It's key if you want to fast 21 days. I mean, people always ask me, how did you do that? It's impossible. When I don't eat for five hours, I'm dizzy. Uh, and my answer is first, go on a ketogenic diet, you're sugar dependent and probably insulin resistant. And second, when they tell you you're going to die, it's much easier. And I always tell my friends, if I had to do a 21 day today, it wouldn't work. I tried because I still have to fight some inflammation and some, 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 uh, some toxins from the chemo, even though I, did, I, I only did three sessions, I'm still cleansing. And one day I told my wife, okay, I'm going to do a five-day fast just to, to cleanse. After three days, I was eating like a pig. It is hard. It's hard to do long fasting. And if you have a very high motivation, like you're dying, it's much easier. Hmm. But even me with my experience, and, and, and I mean, I've, I've done many long-term fasts and two 21 days. If I have to do more than three days today, it's difficult. And I don't want to do it. Yeah. The other thing that struck me is your balance between fasting and nutrition, because on the one hand, you started with the 21 days and the idea was to start that healing process and, and not give those cancer cells food and autophagy, as you mentioned, 
And then you got to a place where, okay, now it's time to ramp up the nutrition. So there's a subtle balance, you know, even though that's, that's, that's not well understood. That's a science that's not well understood in medicine that you saw that you could not eat um, and that the, you're, you were getting incredible amounts of pain. So you said, okay, I have to juice so that that digestion process, process is so much easier. And you still get that incredibly, now probably even more dense kind of nutrition by juicing so many different vegetables and fruits or not fruits, but just vegetables. And you were able to absorb that. So it's such a, again, just pointing to the experimental nature of the protocol. And it's just not an easy call because it seems like opposite ideas. You fast and then you give tremendous amounts of nutrition, but the order also was critical for you. Yeah. And that's what people don't understand about fasting. Fasting is not, not eating. Fasting is both the stress period and the recovery period. Imagine, uh, I will make a comparison with weightlifting, bodybuilding, okay? Imagine that you lift weight every day and you never eat and you just lift weight all day, every day, all day. You're just gonna die. You're gonna die of exhaustion. You're gonna die of, of, of protein disintegration. Uh, it's not good for you. But if you lift weight for an hour, then rest, then eat, boom. You have the whole process, the whole cycle. Your muscle is becoming stronger. Your heart's becoming stronger. Your immune system is working better. That's the whole thing. It's the weight, the rest, and the food. It's the full circle. Same thing for fasting. You don't eat. You stress the body. All the way to the point that it's almost out of nutrition. So what does the body want? Nutrition. Now you eat, and the body absorbs almost 100% of it. So, And it's very easy to see. If I have a big meal, let's say I have a, a ribeye steak and a huge vegetable juice and some olive oil and some garlic, which was my basic dinner when I was sick. If I do that without fasting before and after, I go to the bathroom and a certain amount of matter will get out. Now I fast for five days, 10 days, 21 days. I have the same meal. I go to the bathroom, there's almost nothing. Everything was absorbed. It's crazy. There's almost no rejections. Hmm. One thing you mentioned is how you had the resources in the sense that you had the background in martial arts, in Chinese medicine, in naturopathy. Uh, you had access to the best hospital in Paris. You had access to a great hospital in South Carolina. You you had, or you made, you had, or you made time to do these things, you know, you had the will and those are such critical elements, you know, over and over. I see that we, some people, they, they chance upon that somehow, you know, they might say they get lucky or it's in their life path or somehow it come, they come upon these resources and they try these and they're able to get better sometimes. But the vast majority of people, if you are, stuck in a certain way of living like you have to you have to work from nine to five every day or you're working two jobs or you've never heard of alternative medicine or everything you hear about it says that it doesn't work or it's not real you know there's so many barriers to overcome to just get to a place where you even have the option of doing this responsibly and with knowledge right and and i wonder how different things would be if we could even that level, that playing field for everybody so that everybody at least has access to the information, has access to time and whatever resources needed so they can make their decision in, in conjunction with their physician. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said before, I, I, I realized that I was in the perfect environment. Yeah. And uh, over the years, I have developed a martial art franchise and we have schools all around the world. And my team, my teams around the world, and especially my, my main team in Singapore, they were absolutely magnificent. They did all the work. They took all the classes. My wife took all the classes here in South Carolina. So I didn't have to work for the four months that my healing process was, was going. And uh, I didn't have to work. I didn't have to, to worry about you know, paying my rent. Uh, my, uh, my landlord here, I'm renting my house here in South Carolina. My landlord was fantastic. Uh, really helped me out with the finance and stuff like that. Everybody... It's, it's like the whole universe decided that, okay, let's, let's give this guy a break so he can, he can heal. So I know, I know I, was, I was extremely lucky and that's one of the reasons of my success. Yeah. And I know it's much more difficult. It would have been much more difficult if I had to go to work every day, if I had to worry about how to buy food and stuff like that. Yeah. Nevertheless, that being said, 
everybody has money to buy Coke or to buy junk food or to buy alcohol or to buy cigarettes. Take that money and use it for your healing. Everybody has time to do nothing in front of Netflix. Take that time and do your research. Everyone has internet nowadays. Everyone has Google. So make your research. Be, be your own doctor. I'm not saying be your only doctor. You have to be followed by a doctor. That's, that's a no-brainer. But you also have to be your own doctor. You have to be in charge of your healing and your survival. You have to be involved. If you, if you give up that responsibility and that right uh, of, of being involved in your healing and you just close your eyes and wait, wait for the magic pill from your doctor, chances are you're not going to make it. Fred, the name of our show is Healing is Possible. And when you hear this phrase, healing is possible, what does it mean to you? Wow. It's, it's, it's the phrase that everybody needs to know. It's, it's a, it was my mantra every day, every day. I thought to myself, thank you for my healing. And, uh, and I knew it was possible. And I can only agree with the, the, the philosophy of your podcast and yours. It is, it is not only possible, but it is a it's, it's, it's our responsibility to heal. We can't, like I just said before, we can't just wait for a doctor and a hospital, uh, a system to heal us. They do their best, but they can't do everything. They see you, what, 30 minutes once a month. What about all the rest, all the other minutes? What do you do? stories shared here are the experiences of the speakers. They're not intended as medical advice. Join our network or simply share your story at healthrevolution.org. Healing is possible.